You're listening to the Business for Good podcast, the show where you'll hear inspirational stories about companies making money by solving some of the world's most pressing problems. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and I'm glad you've joined us. Hello, and welcome to episode number 108 of the Business for Good podcast. The number 108 is considered sacred in numerous religious traditions, from Hinduism to Jainism to Buddhism and more. Fun fact, Tibetan Buddhist rosaries have 108 beads. Uh, Zen priests wear bracelets that have 108 beads on them. And there was even a 1990s hardcore band that was devoted to promoting the Hare Krishna religion that was also called, what else? 108. Uh, 108's music, even if not the message, was actually something that I was pretty into as a kid. I liked that band a lot. And as a quick related side note, there is a new documentary just put out by a former guest of ours on this very show, musician Moby, called The Punk Rock Vegan Movie. Again, The Punk Rock Vegan Movie that I do recommend. The free on YouTube 90-minute documentary chronicles the way that the punk and hardcore music scenes have inspired so many animal advocates, myself included. I play a small role in the film, but even without that, I thought it was a lot of fun to watch and a good telling of an important history. So go check out the punk rock vegan movie on YouTube. So you know that 108 is an important number in some Eastern religions. And so it is that episode 108 of this podcast is also very special because the guest just happens to be my wife, Tony Okamoto, who has her not first, not second, not even her third, but rather her fourth cookbook coming out right around the time that this episode drops. Longtime listeners will recall that Tony was actually the co-host of this podcast for the first 20 episodes, and medium-time listeners will recall that she was an interviewee two years ago on episode 51 when her last cookbook came out. It was a fun interview that I recommend going back and checking out, but this one is even more fun, and it doesn't require knowledge of the first episode to enjoy. Now, Speaking of longtime listeners, I want to give a quick shout out to one business for good diehard fan, Brian Nottens in Maryland. Brian posted on social media recently that he is seeking to make a business for good podcast inspired dinner comprised of foods from companies that we've had on this show. He said he wants to use Field Roast, Just Egg, Perfect Day, Rebellious Foods, and even an Oatly dessert, and that he's going to buy some of the ingredients at Whole Foods, meaning he will be drawing from at least six different episodes of the show. It's a very cool idea, Brian, and I can't wait to hear the review. Maybe Brian will draw on seven episodes, and he will even make a course from Tony's latest cookbook, Plant Based on a Budget, Quick and Easy, which you're going to hear all about in this episode. But it's not just a show about a new book. We also talk a lot about the business of being an influencer, how being the CEO of a profitable company that puts her in the public spotlight has changed her life, and a lot more. I had a lot of fun doing this interview. I hope Tony did too. You be the judge. I now present to you the CEO of Plant Based on a Budget, Tony Okamoto. Tony, welcome back to the Business for Good podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you back on the show. You are one of the very few guests who has repeated their performance on the show because we had you as a guest more than 50 episodes ago to talk about when you were releasing your last book. So I, I think that you are one of a rarefied group of people who have been on as a repeat guest. I know John Mackey, the CEO, former CEO of Whole Foods, has been on twice, Kimberly Lee, the CEO of Prime Roots, and, and now Tony Okamoto. Well, I'm honored to be among a few amazing people. Yeah, they're pretty cool people too. But you're really, this is not really like your second 
time on the show. It's really like your 22nd time on the show since the first 20 episodes of the show as longtime listeners will remember were co-hosted by you. So welcome back, Tony, for your 22nd appearance on the Business for Good podcast. Thank you. And thanks for holding the podcast down. It's gotten much, much better since I left. I love I love all the guests you've brought on and you're so smart and thoughtful in your question asking. So I'm glad to be here chatting with you. That's very nice. Uh, I'm sure people don't want to hear us praising each other. So let me just start out by saying the following. So first of all, you know, the last time you were on, I had said, you know, if somebody said to me that they were an influencer, I would have thought it meant like you have no job, right? That's it. Like you have some other source of income or revenue or something somewhere else in your life and you don't have a job. But you told us that actually many influencers make a very lucrative living and you still don't introduce yourself as one, though. What do you introduce yourself at? Before, you said, I'm an author. Now, is that still what you say a couple years later? Yes, I'm, I'm still an author. That's how I introduce myself. So why? I mean, being an author is definitely not even close to the largest source of your revenue streams at Plant-Based on a Budget. So why say you're an author instead of something else? It's something that people understand. I can be writing in an Uber, chatting with someone, and they'll know what an author is. They'll know that I work hard and that I produce something tangible. But if I were to say I I was an influencer, that could really mean anything. I could have a whole YouTube channel devoted to farts and spitting on people and pranking people. And that's so not what I do. Yeah. Well, first, as as you know, I I do follow YouTube channels that are focused on pranks, not really on farts, but we do have a neighbor whose son is a fart influencer on YouTube. And uh, we met him and how much, I mean, he, he, all he does is make YouTube videos about farts and how much was he making? 10 to $12,000 a month. Yeah. Right. So the guy's making a six figure salary a year, just putting fart videos on YouTube. That's not what I subscribe to. I, I like watching the prank videos on YouTube, but yeah, you do something pretty different, I guess. So you call yourself an author. So you have this new book. And it's based on the work that you do on plant-based on a budget on the website and in the social media channels, right? Yes, it's called plant-based on a budget, quick and easy. Quick and easy. Okay, so if people want to get plant-based on a budget, quick and easy, how can they do so, Tony? They can do so at plantbasedonabudgetcookbook.com. All right, so we'll link to that in the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. But if you just can't wait to get it, plantbasedonabudgetcookbook.com is where you can go get this book. We're going to talk all about the book a little bit later, including how it's different from your cookbook to cookbooks ago, which is just plant-based on a budget. So get ready to answer. So, you know, just for the listener, Tony doesn't know any of the questions that are going to be asked. Isn't that right? That's true. Right. In fact, I asked Tony, do you want to know any of the questions? And you said, no, thank you. Right. Exactly. So because it would be better for our, our marriage just to do it and not you know, <laughs> debate these. In fact, the reason why Tony ceased being a co-host of this podcast really had to do it was because with- because I was going on a book tour. <laughs> well, maybe your memory. My, my memory is that it was better for marital harmony. But yes, your our, our our life together has been punctuated by numerous book tours that you have done, including right after our wedding, when you went on a book tour four years ago, and we never went on a honeymoon. And then we finally just did. As listeners of this show know from hearing the past couple episodes, we did go on a honeymoon. So congratulations to us four years later. Yeah, and shout out to Paul for being very patient and supportive while I worked on promoting this cookbook while on our four years late honeymoon. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I was actually quite pleased. I was a little bit nervous that you were not going to want to work as much as I was going to. And I thought it'd be like some tension if I was working too much on the honeymoon. But I was grateful that you had this book launched going so that you would need more time during the honeymoon to work on. Honestly, it was the truth. But 
Anyway, I'm psyched for this new book. I know you've worked very hard on it. I've seen you. We're going to talk all about the book creation stuff a little bit later. But first, I just want to ask you, you know, a very basic question. How many plant-based cookbooks are there out there? Oh, countless. Countless, right? Thousands, right? Definitely more. Okay. And how many free recipes are there on just your website alone? Almost a thousand. Okay. So you know where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. I have two websites, by the way. And on both of them, there are many. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, So why should anybody pay for this book when there are thousands of cookbooks out there already? And when you have thousands of free recipes available for these same very people? Well, people like to hold something in the kitchen. They want to have food splattered all over it, and they want to write their notes in it. That's how I learned how to cook, even though there were free recipes online. And I know that my audience wants this from me because it's also more polished. With plant-based on a budget, free recipes, they are tested by me. Then they go to Alfonso and they're tested. This is Alfonso Ravilla. Yes, he is Alfonso Ravilla. He is a staff food photographer for Plant Based on a Budget, and he's also the photographer for my new cookbook. And And, and an all-around great guy. Definitely, definitely. (laughs) But with a cookbook that I'm writing, it has a very rigorous testing process with 100 people testing the recipes. I, I have each recipe tested five times, and you pay for quality control. You pay for beautiful photography, notes from not only me, but from my recipe testers. And it's a much more polished experience. Yeah, I know that when you were doing all the recipe testing, you're getting really constructive criticism from many of the testers coming back to you who are saying, you know, they liked this recipe, but here are all the problems with it. And I think that my mom tested some recipes for you even, right? She's my harshest, my harshest critic. Hmm. What, what was the harshest thing that she said to you? Oh, one time she said that something was inedible and it was so bad that she couldn't even give it to her dogs that she had to toss it in the backyard for the insects to eat. Mm, interesting. <laughs> oh, I bet the insects liked it. Yeah, so it's a very rigorous testing process. I know I was a volunteer test for at least two or three of these recipes that are in here. So you're basically getting like the cream of the crop with these recipes. Okay. Also... Paul's mom and I are very cool. She's the nicest lady, and I love her dearly. I know she <laughs> listens to this podcast. Jolene, love you big time, and I appreciate your feedback. All right. So let's talk about the book a little bit later on. I do want to get back to this issue about the business of being an influencer, because I was looking up some things, and you know, I was thinking, like, when I was a kid, my friends and I, we wanted to be things like firefighters or astronauts. But now, influencer is among the most desired career paths for children and young adults. And so one poll found that 54% of Americans aged 13 to 38 would become an influencer if given the chance. And another poll found that of 3,000 kids in the U.S. and the U.K., if choosing between a teacher, a professional athlete, a musician, an astronaut, or a YouTuber, a third of them ranked YouTuber as their top choice. Do you think this is healthy? (laughs) Like, why do all these kids want to be influencers? You know, I I was actually chatting with a friend and her kid was really into cooking and she was considering allowing her to start a YouTube channel. And I said that I do not recommend it for young kids. I do not think that we should open up the whole world to critique and criticize young young kids who care very deeply about what people think about them. Yeah. So, I mean, the the criticism can be harsh online, of course, as you have found repeatedly, but there is like a lot of money to be made. I mean, you know, I was reading an article on Vox 
And they said that a micro-influencer, which is defined as somebody with 10 to 50,000 followers, can earn anywhere between 40 grand to 100 grand per year. And influencers who have like a million or more followers can earn tens of thousands of dollars per post, just per post. So, I mean, I've seen these stories about kids, you know, who are like video game influencers, like, you know, 10 years old and they're just playing video <laughs> games and they're making more money than their parents are. So why discourage them? I would like to say that before you make a lot of money, you make no money. And and in my experience, I had plant-based on a budget for many years before it became lucrative. And so oh. it's not an overnight success story for most influencers. It's a lot of hard work and consistency over a long period of time. Okay. So I, I take it when I was saying that like my friends and I wanted to be astronauts or firefighters that you presume we did not want to be an influencer when you were a kid. I, I didn't even know when I was an adult that <laughs> I wanted to be having this job. What did you want to be? Well, when I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I was older, I knew I wanted to work in animal welfare. So I was working for non nonprofits in the animal welfare space prior to running plant-based on a budget full-time. So basically, while you were working in the nonprofit space, you started this blog on mm -hmm. the side. Why? Because I wanted to help people, especially my family, who was suffering from all types of diet-related health issues, know that money should not be an obstacle when eating healthy and plant-based. With money being an obstacle for a lot of people right now, especially with inflation and rising food costs, I would imagine that this is a better economic prospect for you know companies like plant-based on a budget, right? Like basically there's some companies that do well in recessions, right? Like more people are going to go shop at Walmart rather than Whole Foods during a recession. Has that been the same for you? Are you seeing an uptick of interest given inflation and rising food costs? Definitely. There is more of an interest in for people who want to save money, eat healthier, not only are we in a recession, but there is so much information in the mainstream media about the benefits of plant-based eating. Doctors are recommending it for people who have type 2 diabetes and high cholesterol. And, and so overall, people have been more interested in plant-based on a budget in the past year or so. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Not that people need it, but glad to hear that it's, you know, there's a silver lining here and that it's better for your business and that people are getting more and more interested. But let's just talk briefly about the sources of revenue because you know, being an author is not the primary way that plant-based on a budget brings in revenue. So, you know, a lot of the times people think about, you know, a blog or they think about, you know, somebody having a brand and they either don't comprehend how it can be monetized or maybe they just think that having a lot of followers leads to a book deal, and that's how you bring the revenue. But tell people, what, how does Time Pace on a Budget actually make money? I make the majority of my money on sponsored content. I don't want to make the majority of my money on sponsored content. It is active work. And basically, I have someone full-time on my staff who works with brands for me to create content for them. We put information about them in our newsletter, or I create a recipe that's custom with their product, or I will film a whole reel and post it on my social media channels as an ambassador for their company. And it, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm working for them. I am a, a contractor for their company and they provide the deadline, they provide the materials they want me to use. And what I would like to do, and this is my next stream of, of money, but 
for some content creators, especially food bloggers and other bloggers, ad revenue is totally passive. It's what lives on their blog. It's what makes everybody angry. I get about one to two emails per week about all of the ads and the pop-ups that come up on their website. And it's also the reason that there's so much front content before you get to the recipe. Mm. You'll get a whole story of how to uh, mix and match ingredients or the origin story. And I know people don't like that, but it's how bloggers make money. So, you know, for those of you who go to recipe sites, like basically what you'll see is you, you may think, oh, I just searched on Google for, you know, how to make vegan pancakes. And I got there and instead of getting a vegan pancake recipe, I got like, you know, Tony's biography and, you know, how much she loves her family. And then finally, you know, like 500 words later, I'm getting to the vegan pancake recipe. And you're saying that that's not just to annoy people. There's some ads that are there that you people are seeing first and that's why you do it? Yes, there are many ads and 500. That's a short blog post right there. 500 words. <laughs> yeah, 500 words mm-hmm. it would probably be more like a thousand words minimum. Some people do like 3,000. And they do that because every one to two paragraphs you get to pick, some people even choose three, there will be an ad and you get paid based on the impressions of the ad. And and so if you put a jump link at the top that says jump here to see the recipe, do you lose all the ad revenue? There are different techniques around that. There is called the jump to arrival, which you press the jump and it takes you to an ad before you get to see the recipe. So that's how a lot of people get around that and still monetize. I got it. So there's basically active income, like you're filming a reel for a company that has sponsored you. And then there's passive income, which is basically you get enough traffic to your website that the ads start really paying a lot. It's not completely passive because there's all this strategy that you have to put in place before you get the clicks from Google, but you mean strategy like to maximize your SEO, your search engine optimization. Yes. I've had my website rebuilt. I've had different consultations with experts who give input on ways I can better maximize the, my place in the algorithm on Google. And it is a lot of energy and money, but then after you do all of that, you have a better chance of creating substantial passive income. Substantial meaning five figures per month? I'll tell you what I know is possible. This is definitely not what I make, but I have blogger friends who make about a million per year or more. Just on, on passive. Just on their ad revenue. Right. You know, it's interesting. We were we were just talking I was just talking about this with my father. Like if you know, if you're married to a blogger who has that type of revenue and they die, you know, that's all new income that's going to be coming in for months, if not years in the future. Right. And so it's like, you know, what happens to that? Does that, you know, if there's not a will that determines where that's going to go. Wait, what wait, happens? Why are you talking about this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> so conveniently just talking about. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we're squared away on this because as you make more money on your revenue, you know, on your ad revenue. And no, but I mean, it, you know, this passive, this passive income is allowed, allowed a lot of these bloggers that you've told me about just to retire, basically. Like they just mm-hmm. live on, on this on on this ad revenue on their website. It's incredible. Yes, because even if you stop working and you stop focusing on on it and say you lose 50% of your traffic, you're still making $500,000 per year. Right. And that's a lot of money for a family. Yeah. So how many people are working at Plant Based on a Budget now? 
There are a total of five of us. There's five? Okay. So when you were just deciding that you were going to start this blog and then fast forward to when you started to do it full time, is this what you envisioned? Like, are you now, have you realized the vision that you had back then or have you exceeded it or do you still have other aspirations that you haven't met yet? Well, this book is a really big uh, milestone for me, hopefully. It is the book that I have cared about the most and I've also had the most resources for promotion, for making it everything I wanted to be, wanted it to be. And I have big, big, giant, lofty goals and it, they're even scary to think, but what are they? I would love to hit some bestsellers lists. There are a few in particular, like the New York Times bestseller list, and it's a curated list. So you really never know if you're going to make it. You can sell 30,000 copies your first week and not make the list while another book has 4,000 copies and make the list. But why, why do they even call it the best sellers list if it's not truly who the best sellers are? I'm not sure. Because <laughs> what you're saying is it's curated, meaning they're not just looking at book sales. They're actually, you know, picking. They're picking the winners. They say, oh, yeah, this person had 10 times more sales than you did, but we're going to call them a bestseller. There are a lot of books consistently on the list that sell far more books than anyone else. Like Atomic Habits has been number one for, I think my agent said something like 147 weeks or something like that, hmm. or or on the list, oftentimes at number one. And they do sell 30, 40,000 copies per week. Yeah. And to be clear, the first week sales is when a book is most likely to hit because you get all the pre-orders counting in that first week. This is why authors always say, please pre-order my book because they want to basically have all the pre-orders count toward that first week sales to maximize their chance of getting on the list. So when does your book come out? March 7th. March 7th, 2023. And, and this podcast is going to air on March 1st, 2023. So we'll see how many pre-orders we can gin up for you here. Thank you. And another thing to note is that they're looking for diverse sales. So your books, your book sales can't come from only one retailer to, or two retailers like Barnes & Noble and Amazon. They also have to come from Target and Walmart and independent bookstores. And, and that all factors into whether or not you make the list. It's so stupid. Why does it matter? They're just going to say it's a bestseller list. What if everybody buys it at Amazon? What does it matter? It's still the bestseller. But it needs to come from a, a variety of places. I mean, it, it seems like just they ought to call the list something else. It'll be like books that we really like the way that they sold them <laughs> rather than the bestsellers list. Is that the way that they all are or just the New York Times bestsellers list? They're all different. Actually, there is the USA Today, which is based on sales, and that's now on hiatus. It was something that people could aspire to for book sales only or yeah book sales only but in december i think they had a layoff that put their um list on hiatus interesting huh okay well anyway we'll be rooting for you i know that my life will be much better if you make the new york times bestseller list because you'll be so happy i think my life will be worse if you don't though. Yeah. so everybody go out and buy this book you're gonna say something nope okay you look like you were gonna say something okay so why should people buy this book, Tony, if they already have the other one? If they already have Plant-Based on a Budget, now there's Plant-Based on a Budget quick and easy. Like, what's the difference? When I came out with Plant-Based on a Budget, I was very, very strapped for cash. And I had a lot of time to 
cook from scratch. I show people with that book how to make their own bread, how to make their own pizza dough. I show people and encourage them to cook their beans from scratch, which can take a couple hours on the stove. And now in life, I have very, very, very little time. I'm still very budget conscious, but I'm in a position to decide where I want to make compromises. And with this book, I show that. I show how you can lean on canned beans, lean on the $2.50 pre-made pizza dough from Trader Joe's instead of making it from scratch. So basically, the last book was plant-based on a money budget, and this one is plant-based on a time budget. Yes, I want people to maximize the efficiency in the kitchen and not spend any time that they don't need to be spending cooking all night. <laughs> okay. Have you noticed that your own life has changed? Like, you know, you went from somebody, as you described the last time we did an interview together, as somebody who really had very, very modest financial means to somebody now who's running a successful business that's profitable. Have you noticed your own cooking style has changed? Like, are you still, I mean, I remember going to the supermarket with you and you would like literally bring a cup measurer to like measure from the bulk bin to make sure you didn't get more than you needed. I don't see you bringing the cup measure around with you anymore. So have you personally shifted as your own economic situation has modified to being more on a time budget than a money budget? Most definitely. I used to cook from, I used to cook everything from scratch. And then I would say the biggest thing that has changed, and this happened because of the pan pandemic is that I got an Instacart subscription and now I very rarely go to the grocery store. I hmm. used to love it. Paul used to be my companion unwillingly sometimes <laughs> where I would go up and down every aisle looking at all of the sales and taking my time. And now I don't, I don't go very often. Yeah, I know like if we travel somewhere together, like one of one of your hobbies is to go walk through supermarkets, even if you don't buy anything, just to go mm -hmm. walk through them and look at what all the prices are. Even on a honeymoon, we did that and we marveled at the prices of foods in Hawaii, which are dramatically more expensive than they are here on, on the mainland. <laughs> yes, I think it's important for me to know what people in different places are spending on their groceries. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I want to just ask you this question because... I was thinking more about, you know, this word of influencer and, you know, I, you talked about some of the revenue streams, like, you know, you've got the books, you've got the passive income, the active income. You didn't mention though, the, the meal plans, which I know are really what got you started with revenue. Are they still a big part of it? People were downloading meal plans from the website? Not as much as I used to be. They really had their place in my life in 2017, 2018, around the time what the hell hit Netflix. And I was featured in that documentary for my meal plans. So around that time, it really, really blew up for me. It still provides passive income, but not what it used to. And yeah, I remember that you very quickly had like 15,000 versus your meal plans. So these are people who are paying like a minimum of $5 to download a, a PDF of the meal plans that you were offering. Yes, I worked on that sh project with my friend Michelle Kane. And we actually have a lot of different projects that we work on together now, like our podcast, which provides a stream of revenue, and our cookbook, The Friendly Bean Cookbook. 
Yeah. So your last cookbook was a friendly vegan cookbook. And then you mentioned the podcast is another stream of revenue. So you and Michelle do this podcast and there's ads on that as well. So that you're getting revenue. So it's a really multifaceted revenue stream. Like there's like half a dozen sources of revenue that are coming in. So, you know, you could say like if Instagram ever goes the way of MySpace that you still have these other things, right? Yes. And I did that purposely. I did a big, I did all of my hiring in 2020 in February and then in March 2020, a lot of my sponsored content dried up because we were in a global pandemic and companies were not sure of supply chain issues or if they just had so many different concerns. And even if we were in contract, they just said, sorry, we're not going to honor our contract. We have no idea what's happening. And so I had hired four people, no, three people, and lost all of my money that I planned on using to pay those people. And so that's when I decided to be more thoughtful in making sure that I have a lot of different streams of income and a really big savings so that I can pay for six months of not making money with my primary income source. Right. And you mean plant-based on a budget's treasury being with savings, not personally in your own personal bank account? Yes. I, plant-based on a budget is a business. I, I, Right. Keep but, my finances separate. Right. Yeah. I just want to make sure when you say savings that you mean the, the company's savings. Yep. It's really incredible to me what you built. I mean, when we started dating, you were, you weren't making any money from this. It was just, you know, your side passion project that you were doing to now being a successful, profitable business with, you know, five people working there and bring in pretty substantial revenue. And so I saw this tweet from Seth Bannon, who is a venture capitalist who we both know. And I want to ask your opinion of it because I, I saw it and I didn't want to be provocative and respond to it, but he tweeted recently, I'm quoting him, can we stop calling influencers creators? They're entertainers. Creators are people who actually build things. So what would you say to Seth? Are you a entertainer or are you a creator? I'm definitely a creator. I am a podcaster. I create video content online. My content is seen by millions of people per month. And I have built a company from nothing. I employ people. I help them feed their families, buy houses. And I, I definitely consider myself more of a creator than an entertainer. Interesting. So I was looking at the subtweets who were commenting on Seth's tweet. And uh, many of them were supportive of this point of view, but one of them I thought would resonate a little bit more. The person wrote, LMAO, laughing my ass off, tell me you don't understand the creator economy without saying it. So <laughs> I, I thought, well, I know that that wasn't you writing it, but it may as well have been you, right? I I would not publicly write that, but I I do think that when I hear something with that similar sentiment, it makes me believe they don't understand and maybe they don't have a, an intimate relationship with anybody who is a, a creator with a solid online business. Right. Okay. Well, there are a ton of these people out there who are creators with solid online businesses. And it seems like the number of plant-based or vegan creators out there is just, you know, mushrooming. It's, it's really incredible. So like, how do you stay relevant? You know, plant-based on a budget has been around for about a decade now. It has a very large following on Instagram and on Facebook and your email list. There's a ton of people who are following you, but they have lots of other options that they can follow as well. So how do you actually remain relevant in a increasingly crowded space? I collaborate a lot with my friends who are also creators in this space. 
we just had a big retreat in Mexico where for five days we talked about the best strategies, the best sources of income that we should be trying out. There are so many opportunities and many of them are untapped by each of us. And so to learn about them, to also know how much people are charging so that we can stay relevant and all on the same playing field has been so immensely helpful and important in the growth of my business. It almost sounds like collusion. It's like, you know, all these people who are going around to the same companies seeking sponsorships and them talking about what they're charging so they make sure that they're citing around the same prices. Am I getting that wrong? Well, I will say that before I started making friends in this space, I undercharged by far. I didn't realize that everyone else was making three, four, five, six times more than I was making. You mean for sponsored content for, like for, up for a post? Yes, sorry, for sponsored content. And having learned that, I'm able to work smarter and not harder. Yeah, I guess it, you know, it, when prices are not public, you know, it's one thing if like, you know, competing ice cream companies are colluding to keep prices high. It's another thing when prices aren't public at all. If you don't talk to your so-called competitors, you want to make sure that you're not underselling yourself here. So there is this, I wouldn't say a secret club, but there is a club of many of the biggest plant-based influencers that's going on retreats to Mexico to talk about their influence and how they can become more influential. Is that right? Well, you said competitors, and I think of it more as my collaborators. We are all in this together trying to help people eat more plant-based meals. And it's not like they're taking my bottom from my bottom line. We are all able to promote each other and help each other and in turn help people eat more plant-based. Nice. So how's your life changed? You know, like you've gone from just starting a company where you really weren't sure what was going to happen or whether it would be successful or not, to now being the CEO of this small business that, unlike the venture-backed companies, is actually profitable. You know, a lot of these venture-backed companies, they take money from investors and they tell them in the future that they're going to become profitable, so it'll become a good bet. Whereas you've never taken money from outside investors, you've never put any of your own money in, just through revenue generation alone, you've created this business that has given you like some amount of at least internet fame so how does it change your life? Like, is it different for you now when you go out? So what do you do differently than you did before? My rule of plan based on a budget has changed dramatically. I now run the business as a CEO and I make sure I meet with all of the people who actually create the content to support them and make sure that our vision is aligned. I have someone who runs social media. I have a photographer. I have someone who runs support for my Facebook group, and I have someone who works with brands, and then I am, I am the, the... You're the face. And I am more of the face now. I run our podcast, I write books, and I do things that only I can do. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, if we go to a vegan restaurant in some city, like it has happened more than once where people come up to you and they generally hand me their phone and say, can I take, can I take a photo of you with them? But I know like you don't even you usually, you know, wouldn't even post where you are while you're there. Right. Right. I've had some experiences where people show up or want to show up. They, they say, I'll be right there. So I have become much more private online and I am 
always very extremely flattered when people come up to me. It's happened at the airport, at Disneyland, at all these really random places. And I feel so honored and grateful for this being my life. Yeah, I, I, I will confess that, as you know, I've recently been really enjoying Mark Rober's content. He's another influencer who does like science YouTube stuff, and he lives in Northern California. So I, I secretly hope that I will run into him one time <laughs> and I get to go and get my photo taken with him because I, I love his channel. It's really, really awesome content. So, and, and I'll include if you are interested in, in Mark Rober. I, I know that some of the listeners here were when I've been talking to them, I've mentioned that they should listen to him or watch his videos and they're like, how can you just found out about him? Like he's got like tens of millions of views. You know, he quit his job at NASA to do this uh, as an influencer and he's making awesome content. Yeah. And he's sponsored by huge companies like Bose. Yeah. 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 It's really incredible. Anyway, we'll link to his stuff, to Mark Rober stuff in the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. Tony, what are you aspiring to now? Like, obviously you said that you want to be a New York Times bestseller made that come true. But if you're looking at the next 10 years, like, you know, 10 years ago, you would hardly be able to fathom what plant-based on a budget is today. So 10 years from now, what do you think or hope it will be? The con the algorithm is constantly changing and I want to make sure I'm able to stay on top of that. Who knows what the next TikTok will be or the next brand new social media platform. I feel like there is always something new that I need to be staying on top of and I want to stay relevant I want to bring on people who are really passionate about helping people eat plant-based. And also, it's very extremely important for me to take care of the people who've been with me the whole time. Like I have, like I mentioned, four other people, three of whom have been my first employees. So I, I care about them so much and hope that they stay with the company for forever. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that too. When you think about the impact that you're having, like obviously plant-based on a budget is a for-profit company with a mission. The mission is to help people eat plant-based for less money. And you hear from people I know on a very regular basis for whom it has made a big difference that so they've transformed their life. You have guests on your podcast who you know, say they've lost hundreds of pounds or you get people who just have made really transformational changes in their life. So anecdotally, like we know that this is having an impact because you're reaching millions of people and subset of them make changes to be to eat more plant-based and therefore have a lighter footprint of the planet and animals and, and their health. But have you thought about ways to measure your impact? Like, obviously you hear from people who say that you're having an impact on them, but have you thought about whether there might be ways that you can determine whether you're meeting the mission of the company or not to reduce the number of meat-based meals that are being consumed in exchange for plant-based meals? I would love to learn about how, if anyone has any ideas of how I can measure, that would be fantastic, but I don't have anything more than hearing from people on a regular basis, and I celebrate every meal that's plant-based. Yeah, I mean, presumably you could be doing surveys, right, of your followers. I don't know what, you know, sometimes people don't tell the truth in surveys, but you could ask them if, if you know, if seeing your content has modified their dietary behavior. Yes, that would rely on people taking the time out of their very, very extremely busy schedule. But I, I have done surveys. I have not asked that question, but I've been able to learn other very interesting facts about my audience in that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Cool. Well, as you know, Tony, we end every interview on this show with the same two questions that I will now pose to you. So the first is what resources, if any, have been useful for you? If somebody's interested in doing what you do, are there any resources that you would recommend for them, whether books, podcast speeches, anything that you think they should check out? If anyone is interested in food blogging content or food creation, there is a fantastic podcast and course called Food Blogger Pro, and it's a, an immense wealth of knowledge. They bring on every big time creator and they share very transparently how they built their business. Cool. And I, I know that you've been listening to Food Blogger Pro podcasts for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big deal that recently you were one of the big time creators who they brought on as a guest. So you can go check out it. We'll link to it in our episode if you want to listen to more of Tony talking about her business with them and, and how she makes money. Then you can go check out her episode on Food Blogger Pro. Any other resources that you would recommend, Tony? No? Okay. I take your silence as none. Okay. Finally, then, the last time that you were on the show and I asked you this question about what companies you wanted to be created that don't yet exist. And you said, well, you know, somebody is going to do plant-based meat for cheaper than animal meat, basically. And we talked about um, the soy riso brand, which is often when we see it sold, it's sold not cheaper than, but identically to the pork chorizo at least. But are there any other ideas, whether for a new influencer channel or for a new food company or anything in the world that you hope somebody listening will start on their own that will be influenced by you here right now? I don't have any company in particular that I want to see created besides seeing vegan companies come down in price for their products. But I do want to encourage anybody who is listening and feels like this space is so saturated. How could they offer anything different? I hope that they will still give it a try and become a creator if that's what they want to. There is still so much that can be added and you never know who is going to resonate with your content. Yeah. Are there any particular genres of maybe food that nobody has done a vegan creator channel for or regional cuisine or anything? Is there a, an Ethiopian vegan food creator out there, for example? I'm sure there is, but you <laughs> can be a different voice. All right. Very good. Well, Tony, congratulations on the fourth cookbook, Plant Based on a Budget, Quick and Easy. I cannot wait to see it hit the New York Times bestseller list, and we will have a big celebration. So I'm looking forward to that, and congratulations on all of your success. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, please let the world know. Leave the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends. Who knows? Maybe you'll inspire one of them to be in the business of doing good themselves. <laughs>